Ordinarily, after the anthem, I thank the choir, but I feel like I would need to thank, like, the whole congregation. That was amazing. Thank you, bells, choir, instrumentalists. It's fun when all of those things come together. And we're going to spend a little bit of time seeing how Jesus takes multiple iterations of teaching, of practice, and puts them together this morning. Uh, this year, uh, as you may know, we have a shorter season of Epiphany, which is the liturgical season that we're in, the season after Epiphany. And in just a few weeks, we'll be entering into Lent. And during Lent, we're going to be focusing on how Jesus taught us to pray. However, on the way there, we're going to continue this sermon series we've been looking at during Epiphany called Foretold. You may remember that the season of Epiphany is a season of aha moments. Just like when the Magi found Jesus and recognized him, we also are invited to recognize Jesus anew. And in the beginning of the Gospel of Mark, where we'll be situated this morning, we can see Jesus' disciples beginning to recognize how he is the embodiment, he is the fulfillment of all Israel's stories and prophecies. So with all that in mind, let's turn to our second reading this morning, which comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1 verses 21 through 28. If you'd like to follow along, you can do so by turning in your Red Pew Bibles to page, I think it's 35 of the New Testament. Yeah, 35. Uh, this is Mark 1, 21 through 28. Listen now for God's word to you. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus entered the synagogue and taught. They were astounded at his teaching for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. And just then there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him saying, be silent, come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying with a loud voice came out of him. They were all amazed. And they kept on asking one another, who is this? A new teaching and with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. And at once his fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As we dig into this text this morning, would you pray with me? Oh, Holy One, we thank you that you give us all scripture for our learning. We ask by the power of your spirit that this scripture could give us a word of hope this day, a word of hope from you. We pray all this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, your word made flesh. Amen. I love TED Talks. Maybe some of you do too. And whenever I sit down to watch a TED Talk, I know that I'm going to learn something interesting. I know that my mind is going to be invited to reflect in ways it doesn't always do so natively. However, one of the things I've noticed about when I watch TED Talks is that they frequently operate just on like the cognitive level, the level of my mind. They're like lots of fun, neat ideas, but they don't always have takeaways, things I can apply to my day-to-day -day life immediately. 
Too frequently, I'll hear a neat idea from a TED Talk, I'll get jazzed about it, but then I feel stuck because there's no way of putting into practice like the really cool thing I learned about electric cars, for example. Teaching, at least teaching that sticks, teaching that makes a difference in people's lives, needs to be embodied. It needs to be something that you can practice. This is why the church doesn't just identify Pastor Susan and me and, and other pastors as ministers of the word, but as ministers of the word and sacrament. This is why the gifts of God aren't simply offered in the abstract. It's not just God loves you, but also God loves you through font where God claims you. God loves you through table where God gives of God's body and blood through Jesus Christ. It's not just abstract. It's concrete spiritual sustenance. It's not enough to know the truth of God. The truth of God needs to be embodied. And it's in this intersection of abstract thinking and concrete embodiment that we find Jesus. Jesus arrives at the synagogue of Capernaum. This could possibly be the synagogue, the home synagogue of Simon and Andrew, of James and John, who Jesus called to follow him in our reading from last week. He begins in the synagogue, Jesus does, to teach authoritatively. Maybe you've experienced this type of teaching before, whether in school or at your job, or maybe even through a TED Talk. The kind of teaching where something clicks. It makes sense in a way that it didn't make sense before. Jesus doesn't simply blather, right? He doesn't simply say what the, the, the synagogue thinks that a spiritual leader should say. Instead, he makes known the majestic works of God in ways they hadn't thought about before, in ways that make sense. And in doing so, what he demonstrates to the crowd is that God's truth heals both body and soul. We see this concretely in the way that he casts out this unclean spirit from a man who comes in the synagogue. This man comes in and interestingly, when the unclean spirit cries out about Jesus' identity as the Holy One of God, you know, if I were Jesus right there, I might have tried to pivot into talking about what it means to be the Holy One of God and, and, and share with the people in the synagogue what I've come to do. But Jesus doesn't do this. In, instead, he commands the unclean spirit, be silent. This is something that as we spend time with Mark throughout this year, we're going to see a few more times where Jesus, instead of declaring who he is to the crowd, instead of using a miracle to tell everybody, I am the son of God, he'll say, hey, keep this to yourself. Don't talk about this. This is an idea that is so pervasive throughout Mark that scholars have a name for it. They call it the messianic secret. It's almost as if Jesus is bashful, right? It's, it's like he's, he's operating in a shy way where he doesn't want to proclaim to the world his identity quite yet. It's like he doesn't want to attract too much attention to himself. 
it can be hard to understand why this is, but one way in that, that might be helpful is, is uh, reflecting on, you know, maybe you or, or a friend of yours have had the experience of getting internet famous. You know what I mean? Like maybe you or a friend of yours have had the experience of going viral. Um, and, and maybe not. Maybe you, maybe you know somebody like several, uh, uh, what's, what's the term, um, several degrees away from you who's gotten internet famous and, and who people now know just because of like the Charlie bit my finger YouTube thing. I'm seeing a couple blank looks. That's okay. If you go home and you Google Charlie bit my finger, you'll see a, a slice of internet culture from like the early 2000s. It's great. That's not what this sermon's about though. Um, If you've experienced going internet famous or you've experienced going viral or you've seen someone who has, the people who do that, there's only a, a small facet of who they are that like the whole world gets to see. And when the whole world gets to see just a small facet of who you are, it's real easy for the whole world to flatten you into just that facet of your behavior. The whole world or those who see this viral video or this internet famous thing that, that, that maybe you or a loved one has, has, has had go out there might generalize about who you are or your loved one from just that small slice. Their assessment might be vastly different from the character of the person, from, from what the character of the person actually is, from what the person might actually value. By my reading, this is a little bit of what's going on with Jesus. Jesus is, in fact, the Messiah. That's true. Jesus is, in fact, the prophet that God promised, like Moses in our first reading. But many of the children of Israel had an improper understanding of what that prophet was coming to do. Many of the children of Israel had an understanding that the Messiah was going to come, was going to kick off the Romans, and was going to establish a kingdom then and there in Jerusalem with Israel as the centerpiece. The Messiah would lead the children of Israel to be the preeminent power and rule forever. The Messiah would, in this sense, the the common understanding went, heal the civic body of Israel. But God's not just about healing bodies. God is also about healing souls. We know with the benefit of hindsight that Jesus came to do so much more than just have a, a small civic government. It would be a mistake to minimize Jesus' work to being just about healing our civic institutions. Jesus is here to do that, don't get me wrong, but Jesus' work is about far more than that. If Jesus' work were to go viral here, he might be forced into a confrontation before he's prepared for it, before he's ready to go and, and, and have the come to Jesus moment in the very real sense with the powers that be. The crowd may not know that Jesus' mission was far larger than just about the nation of Israel and the Roman Empire. Jesus' mission instead was to heal all creation, bring all of God's creation and reconcile it with its creator, body and soul. Now, Jesus' fame is going to spread regardless of whether people talk about him casting out this unclean spirit in our reading today. Jesus' fame is going to spread by word of mouth. You can't keep something like this locked down. People are going to talk. 
As we see from the end of this passage, if someone teaches in a way that resonates with your soul and then demonstrates an act of power that serves to underscore their teaching, that's going to be something you'll want to talk about. But by attempting to limit the spread of the rumors about him, Jesus might have bought himself a little bit more time to highlight exactly who he was, what he came to do. He would be able to share with his disciples that he would be betrayed and killed. He would be able to prepare them for what was to come. He would be able to tell them that this is not the end of the story, but that after three days he would raise again. He would be raised again from the dead. Now, all of this that I've shared with you, the messianic secret, what's going on with Jesus healing us body and soul, this might be the stuff of a TED Talk. This is good information. But there's a sense in which a sermon might not send you forth with something like to sink your teeth into. What's the application here, Pastor? What do I do with this information? Well, I'm going to channel a little bit of my background. I grew up in a non-denominational Baptist church or Baptist e-church. So I'm going to give you four points and they're all going to start with the same letter. We don't do this all the time here. Uh, we're, we're, you know, we, we, we don't lean into to those roots, but we're going to try it today. I want to give you something to take away. So if you are a writer of, of notes, this is a great time to write down these, these four points. You got a spot on the back of your jacket. You don't need to. There won't be a test. Um, but, uh, but I want to give you these, these four ideas. What do we do with this? Well, first and most broadly... The letter of the day is L, by the way. First and most broadly, we're going to live out our faith. We're going to live out our faith. God's truth needs to affect us, body and soul. That means that if you've been shaped as a follower of Jesus Christ, it's good if you read your Bible and pray every day, but that's not the only thing that followers do. They live out their faith. They put their faith into practice. If you believe that Jesus loved the whole world, for example, be willing to follow Jesus by loving the whole world also. If you believe Jesus has forgiven your sin and has called you to new life, then live that new life. Forgive the sin of others that you interact with. Live out your faith. The second is to let your life be a witness. Let your life be a witness. For some of us, it's tempting to see Jesus teaching authoritatively and think, well, here's what I'll do. I'll just share the gospel more and more authoritatively via social media with my family and friends. That'll get them to listen to Jesus. Or maybe I'll think, I just need to call out sin a little bit more vigorously when I see it. You know, the strongest witness that you can actually offer the strongest witness you can actually provide is to have your actions match your words. This is what we're called to do as Christians. Are you practicing gentleness in your life? Are you practicing gentleness with your family? You're practicing gentleness in your marriage or among your friends. This is one of the ways it looks for God's truth to heal and transform us body and soul. Let your life be a witness. Number three, look beyond appearances. Our youth are currently spending time with the story of King David, a story you all might be familiar with. King David was a, uh, the youngest child of, I think, eight 
Samuel initially brushed off David because he didn't look like a king. And God told Samuel, don't look at the outside appearance, look at the heart. In our passage, it would have been really easy for Jesus to look at the appearance of the man with an unclean spirit and say, you're not welcome here in the synagogue. But Jesus doesn't do this. He looks beyond appearances into what the man could look like with the truth of God transforming his life. If we believe in the transforming power of God's truth, a transforming power that can heal us body and soul, then let us not dismiss someone based simply on their first impression. Let us not uh, welcome someone based simply on their first impression. Let us look beyond appearances, trusting that Jesus heals and transforms all the time. And fourth and finally, and thank you for bearing with me, fourth and finally, love your enemies. This is, at least for me, one of the most difficult applications of this passage. And it stems from practicing those first three. If we live out our faith by letting our lives be witnesses, if we look beyond appearances, then we must practice love of enemies. Because we'll trust and know that God has the power to transform and heal body and soul of enemies just as much as God has the power to transform and heal us body and soul. Just as much as God has the power to heal our friends and body and soul. Loving enemies doesn't mean we agree with them. It doesn't even mean that, uh, that, that, that we need to let them in our lives in the same way that we welcome friends. But loving enemies does mean orienting ourselves toward them with a posture of welcome so that if and when God does transform and heal them, we can celebrate and be glad with them just as God celebrates and is glad with us. So love your enemies. Friends, God's truth heals us, body and soul. And we might not use the same language that scripture does in this passage uh, in describing Jesus casting out an unclean spirit from someone. We don't use the language of exorcism a whole lot in our tradition, but we can do the same work. When we live out our faith, what we're doing is we're casting out from ourselves the unclean spirit of hypocrisy. When we let our whole life be a witness, instead of just telling people with our words about Jesus, we're casting out the unclean spirit of performative evangelism. When we look beyond appearances, we are casting out from ourselves the unclean spirit of prejudice. And when we love our enemies, we are casting out the unclean spirit of pride and hatred from ourselves. And really, if we're being honest, it's not us who's casting out those unclean spirits from ourselves. It's Jesus who's doing that work. It can be hardest to confront those unclean spirits inside of our own souls. But this is, what, uh, this is what God's truth calls us to do. When we read this passage, the person I would invite us to identify with isn't Jesus or someone in the crowd, but the one with the unclean spirit who walks into the synagogue and who is so glad because of the mercy of Jesus Christ. We need the healing Jesus provides. We need to be healed and transformed body and soul. Even if we entered this space of worship, knowing Jesus' identity as the Holy One of God in our minds, the invitation Jesus gives us is to allow that knowledge to sink deep within our hearts and then to be lived out in our hands and in our feet. Feet isn't the plural. Feet would be the plural. Excuse me. Thank you. If we can do this by God's power and God's grace, 
we too will experience the fame of Jesus being spread throughout the whole region, not of Galilee, but of Michiana. This is what we're invited into, to allow for Jesus to transform and heal us, and then to allow for Jesus through our hands and feet to transform and heal our world. May it be so. Amen.